Well, hello and welcome back to the next Cadbury Conversations podcast. This is a very socially isolated podcast because it's coming from me, Andrew Davis, in sunny Sheffield. And me, Marion Mahmood, here in the fields of Hereford. Where else would anybody want to be on a day like today than the fields? I know. (laughs) And it's good to talk to you, Mariam. Good to have you with us. And uh, you've been talking to some people about one of the religious festivals that goes on at this time of year. It is kind of peak religion season, really, isn't it? We've got Passover, Ramadan is is just around the corner. But uh, what's the festival you've been talking about this week? So Visalki is a historical and religious festival um, for both Sikhism and Hinduism, more so for Sikhism because it commemorates the formation of the Khalsa Panth or the way of Guru Gobind Singh starting in 1699, so it goes way back. Um, So while this is a very um, sort of religious festival for Sikhs, Visalki, it's also celebrated outside of Um, the Sikh faith. So Muslims and Christians, specifically in the South Asia region, in the Indian subcontinent, um, they also celebrate this festival, but um, more so as to mark the beginning of spring. Also, I recently learned through Bengali friends that the Bengali New Year, or Boishaki, which is, you know, Basaki, but it's, you know, with, with the Bengali pronunciation uh, Mm -hmm. marks the beginning of the new year there Um, so that's also quite interesting. It is indeed so happy new year to uh, any uh, Bengali friends listening to us uh, today as well and now happily um, we have in the Cadbury Centre a couple of really eminent uh, uh, Sikh friends and leaders and we've managed to get those on to today. So our guests today are um, two wonderful and inspiring Sikh men we have Jasveer Singh of City Sikhs, who is a London-based lawyer and interfaith activist. And joining him is Simranjit Singh from the US, who is an academic, um, a community organiser and educator um, based in New York. Great. Well, without further ado, uh, let me hand over to you, Simran and Jasveer, and let's listen to what they have to say. Thank you both for being here today. You know, my first question would be, you know, what does it mean to be a Sikh in the U.S. diaspora? Uh, what does it mean to you? Well, it's a good question. I mean, it's a it's a hard uh, it's a hard question to answer uh, completely objectively because it is it's all I know. Uh, I was born and raised uh, in a Sikh family, um, and you know, my experience of it is. Um, I was uh, I grew up in Texas, and it's not exactly a um, a haven a haven of six or South Asians or yeah. um, really any of these sort of international communities in, in the way that we have in other parts of the U.S. or uh, parts of the U.K. or other parts of the world. So, so it was a it was um it was isolating in a sense, and I think that can speak to many experiences of of sick Americans that you know we don't really have. Um, a very large population. We uh, estimate about 500,000 uh, six or so in this country. And so proportionally, we're quite small. Um, historically, we've been uh, largely underrepresented in this country. Um, and in terms of political power, we haven't really had much 
here. And so the a big a big sort of aspect of our experience uh, in the states has been uh, has been around a sense of uh, being on the margins, uh, but also being invisible. Um, most Americans. A recent study found that 70% of Americans don't know who six are. Mm. Um, and so this sort of double dance of being um, so easily visible and identifiable, um, but at the same time being uh, unseen, I think that's a big part of our experience here in the States. Yeah, so that contrasting that with um, the experience in the UK, obviously, you know, um, it's much smaller in proportion to the US size-wise. And um, the Sikh diaspora in the UK is is much more, you know, um, visibly apparent. Yet it was only up recently when uh, Tanmanjit Singh, who is the first, um, correct me if I'm wrong, just is he the first MP to wear a Sikh turban in the House of Parliament? Um, is yeah. that yes? So just yeah, that's right. To speak on that, Jasper, um, what what do you think? You know, leading on from Simranjit's uh, point about political participation and visibility. I just wanted to know your take on, you know, the UK um, lived experience with regards to this. So my experience is very different to Simranjeet's. I was uh, born and brought up in West London. West London has one of the, um, well, it has an area called Southall, which is known um, certainly in the 60s and 70s. It was known as Little India mm -hmm. uh, and into the 80s as well. So I was brought and brought up here in an area where there was a strong uh, Sikh presence. Mm -hmm. And for me, I have to be honest, I didn't really know anything um, other than that. Um, going to school, many Sikhs who were at school with me. Um, wearing a turban wasn't an issue for me in myself. Mm -hmm. However, I did then later come to learn that those who are in, in my school say, two, three, four years older than me, they experienced high levels of discrimination and bullying. Mm. But by the time it came to uh, to me, mm -hmm. their lived experience had ensured that I wasn't going to then be exposed to that. And the school um, in my later years ended up being run by somebody who was of Sikh heritage as well. Mm -hmm. So that was in the mid to late 90s. And I think what I've seen in the UK, so the UK population is also half a million when it comes to the Sikh community, mm -hmm. but our uh, total population is only uh, is around 70 million. So it's about um, a third of the uh, American third or a, a quarter of the American population. So that's where the difference lies. Mm -hmm. And with, within the UK, I think the, the visibility really emerged when it came to Sikhs uh, during the 60s and 70s when there were um, court cases involving people who were fighting for the right to be able to wear the turban in the workplace, mm. uh, be it uh, Sikhs who were on um, working in the buses, uh, certainly in the Midlands, uh, Sikhs who uh, then wanted to be able to ride a motorbike without having to take their turbans off. Mm -hmm. So the turban has come to be a, a kind of a, a symbolic uh, of symbolic importance to the Sikh community in the UK, mm -hmm. because many of the fights have involved fighting for the right to be able to wear the turban in, in places where um, Sikhs wouldn't necessarily be able to do so. So, yeah. you know, fast forward to 2017, yeah. and we see the first Sikh uh, wearing a turban in the House of Commons. Now, there had been uh, a Sikh wearing a turban in the House of Lords, but never in the Commons. Mm -hmm. So having the first elected uh, Sikh MP who wore a turban, yeah. was a milestone 
it and was, it has been seen that not just in the UK but elsewhere I would think Canada so for instance I think you know is a really um, good example I think because in 2015 in their elections we had 20 Sikh MPs the most that has ever you know have ever been elected um, and four Sikh MPs uh, who became part of the cabinet under Trudeau uh, and, and it was quite interesting because for the first time in history Canada had more Sikh representation in the cabinet than the cabinet of India so this says a lot about you know the not just the visibility but representation and agency of the diaspora wouldn't you guys agree? Yeah no I, I entirely agree I think looking at the Canadian model and seeing just how much the uh, the Sikh community over there has become an active part in the, the political system is breathtaking. Mm. I think, again, if you go back to, say, the uh, the 1990s and the early noughties, mm -hmm. the Sikh community in the UK considered itself to be at the um, uh, at the real kind of like pushing the uh, uh, pushing the agenda, pushing things to as strong a point as possible. And I think the Sikh community in the UK developed a sense of to some extent, you could argue it was complacency mm. and not being able to push things as forward as much as they thought they were. The progression didn't happen in the way that we considered it would be. Yeah. But then you see how in Canada they've managed to push through in a way that we in the UK have been left entirely, you know, entirely behind. But it's um, it's inspirational, yeah. certainly, to see um, that number of Sikhs in, in positions of authority and influence. Yeah, um, so let's um, look at the US once again. So Simranjit, um, you know, looking at, you know, we talked about political participation, we discussed, you know, other forms, I think we can discuss other forms of, you know, even self-portrayal in the media. So um, Jess mentioned, you know, uh, we were pushing boundaries in the UK and the first thought that comes to my mind is, um, you know, growing up, I grew up in Ireland, um, so Bhangra music was a huge part of like my sort of early formative identity, you know, being half Punjabi. And um, so that's one way in which, you know, we have Sikh representation and self-portrayal in the media or using various media platforms. Just wondering, the US experience, if you could speak to that a little bit, you know, um, what are there any sort of examples that you can give of how the Sikh community in the US has kind of, you know, um you know worked on their sort of image or representation in media yeah sure i mean i would say um for the most part six six really started coming to the us uh about 120 years ago mm -hmm. and for the most part um remained out of the media eye um really until uh the last 10 years or so and and i think the big watershed moment uh, for the community was after the massacre in Wisconsin in 2012. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a moment where the community really started thinking seriously about what um, mass outreach would look like. I think up until then, we had quite a bit of focus on, uh, you know, interpersonal, person to person, or, you know, go to your classroom and, and sort of represent your faith. But I think in mass, it really started after 2012. And, and you're seeing quite a proliferation of, of how this is happening uh, through various forms of media. Um, you, have, um, you have artists and creatives, um, actors and musicians 
um, who are breaking through at this point in a way that we've never really seen before. And in this sense, it, it, it feels almost like a renaissance. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of this is coming out of the US and some of this is coming out of Canada. Uh, and you know, it's happening all over the world, but in, in, in the US context, I think we're, we're seeing this sort of, kind of like what Jasphere was saying, a, a look north towards um, folks like Rupi Kaur, mm-hmm. um, who have shattered these ceilings that have always existed for us. And, and, and really helping us imagine um, what belonging could look like. And so um, a lot of young people are starting to take risks. Um, and the other, the other sort of side of the coin is a lot of the organizations, uh, we have quite a few uh, advocacy organizations here in the States, uh, who most of which have developed out of uh, uh, a focus on civil rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of these organizations are investing heavily uh, in representation in media spaces, getting coverage in the news, um, getting six into pop culture and movies and television shows. And so it's it's been a very intentional effort, but the, the brunt of it has really happened in the last 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's um, lead me to think about, again, you know, kind of contrasting that with what we have in the UK. Of course, recently we had uh, Sunny Hundle's documentary about being um, British, Sikh and proud, um, which many of our listeners, I'm sure, may have had a chance to to watch. And if not, I, I highly recommend it. Um, so, you know, in that documentary, Sunny, um, it's, it's a very personal account of how he grew up in as, as a Sikh person in Britain and contrast that with, you know, somebody who grew up in the same household, his his brother um, and his experience, his late brother. Um, so just just a little on that. Um, what what do you think um, this means for, for the Sikh community in Britain? You know, we have we've started this conversation about, again, as Simran has talked about the belonging and identity. Um, if you could just speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I think so. The documentary itself was, um, it was fascinating. Mm. It gave such an insight into a, a personal story about a relationship between two brothers, one of whom then um, went and became the founder of a, a major institution within the, the Sikh community in the UK. Mm. Uh, and so from that side, it was a very interesting insight into um, obviously the history of the uh, of some aspects of the Sikh community and how that's evolved over time. Mm. It's also fascinating to see, for example, the inclusion of a Sikh family in EastEnders, you know, a major soap uh, in the UK, um, which has been, you know, at points in the past, has been watched by up to half of the British population Mm. at any given time. So Sikhs are now breaking through. We also have, for example, Anita Rani, Mm. and Anita Rani uh was on strictly she presents country file um there are sikhs who i think now can be found within uh the mainstream media mm-hmm. in a way that perhaps we didn't see that presence um say even about three or four years ago and i think all of that is as a result of sikhs certainly thinking well what does it mean to be uh sikh in the uk what does it mean to be me mm-hmm. and how can how can i be authentic when it comes to portraying my own identity. Mm-hmm. So that does mean for some Sikhs, it's it's not a case of wearing the faith on our sleeves, mm-hmm. but simply that being part and parcel of our identity mm-hmm. and other aspects of identity coming through and shining through when it comes to doing work um, uh, within the media. Mm-hmm. I think it also then reflects the way that British Sikhs now consider themselves. There's a real sense of uh, Britishness to their identity, mm-hmm. uh, which perhaps, 
may not be the same in other countries mm. and it's a very distinct way of looking at the world so we have to remember that britain obviously was a, the country which uh, it's a country of empire yeah. it's the nation which took over the punjab which annexed the punjab mm. and which created what what some people would argue is the modern identity of Sikhs. Mm -hmm. The Kandayas emblem, for example, sees its roots in the British Indian Army uh, regiments of the late 19th century. Mm -hmm. uh, and the turbans that you see in there, that most Sikhs in the UK wear, uh, also derive from the British Indian Army. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot there as to the historic identity yeah. of, or the historic impact that the British uh, have had on the Sikh community mm. but we're now getting to a point where I think Sikhs in the UK are looking at the historiosity of things they're looking at their their own history they're looking at the links between say Punjab and the UK with Maharaja Dalip Singh mm. with Sophia Dalip Singh the um the suffragette who uh fought hard during the uh uh, suffrage movement mm -hmm. and there are lots of hidden stories which are now emerging about uh, Sikhs historic but also in the present day so I think there's a there's a lot happening which perhaps wasn't happening before oh. but much of it has arisen as a result of a confidence of the community to think do you know what this is what we need to look at yeah. and maybe this is the best way for us to be able to um, share our story. Indeed, and, and on, 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 on that note, um, it's also worth pointing out that uh, you yourself, Jasbir, um, are pioneering um, what we have, the, um, the British South Asian Heritage Month. So it's the first time that we have that, you know, coming to the fore where, you know, British people of South Asian heritage, be they Sikh, Muslim, Hindu, Christian, or somebody who isn't of any uh, faith or belief, uh, sort of background are coming together to, to share their experiences. And then I quite like that. And I, I you know, have to commend you for that, for your work on that. Um, Thank you. It, it's, it's, it's a great move. And you know, we, we come together with all our various cultures and traditions and our faiths you know, um, in this big melting pot. And um, on that note, it kind of made me think, um, Simranjit, would you say that, um, you know, as Jasveer was talking about, the, the Britishness is a central aspect to British Sikh identity, you know, and, and kind of questioning and reconfiguring Britishness um, with regards to other aspects of their identity. Would you say that there is a similar or rather a different um, take when it comes to Americanness and being Sikh? Yeah, sure. It, it's it's a it's a tenuous relationship and a tense relationship, mm -hmm. um, and I think it's it's one where. Um, it's it's sort of ebbed and flowed over time, um, but particularly in a moment where um, so many Sikhs are seeing um, America um, in in light of Trump uh, and the Trump presidency, um, and realizing you know what if this sort of um, if this sort of extremism is possible uh, through this frame, then, then what does it really mean to be American? And what does it mean to have allegiance to a country um, that can end up like this? And so I think I think that shed a lot of light um, on the relationship between um, being sick and being American. And, and if those two are uh, compatible or if those two are mutually exclusive or if one takes primacy over the other, um, you know, I, there, there was a time uh, just a few years ago, where many Sikhs uh, really made the case um, that the core American values um, line up well with Sikh values. And I think there's there's some resonance to that, right? Like if you say justice 
uh, and freedom and, and equality for everyone. Um, you know, there's there's a general uh, one-to-one relationship there that could that one could easily make an argument for. Um, but then, if you think about uh, what are the structures and what's the history and and how does it actually play out, uh, it gets a little bit more messy. And and people say, well, I don't I don't want to tie my faith mm. um, and the teachings of my faith to a country that has had a long history of of racism and violence and these sorts of things. And so. Um, from my vantage point, um, this this relationship has become um, it's come more into question over the past few years, and I, I wouldn't even say just because of Trump, um, but but in the last ten or fifteen years or so, it's become a major question, uh, and and everyone within the community is grappling with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, um, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, obviously the. The, the times that we live in and you know extremism of all sorts is, is um, a huge challenge to us all and um, tackling that I think you know obviously we can look towards a respective faith so my next question is on that you know how do we find solutions to these challenges from the Sikh faith so Jasvira could you speak to that a little bit and then Zermanjeet so one of the challenges that can emerge is often that of othering of looking at uh, people from different backgrounds and seeing them as not being the same as ourselves mm-hmm. and i think one of the the strongest messages that the uh, that the Sikh community has uh comes from one of the um writings of um the 10th guru guru gobind singh ji mm-hmm. he said manaski recognize the whole of humanity as one and that's a message which has been taken on board by many charities that are based in the UK uh, and which do either work within the UK or humanitarian work and aid work around the world. Mm-hmm. So that's been a good way of challenging some of the um, some of the issues which may arise as to you know, extremist thought and belief and also dealing with those who would perhaps view Sikhs with sadly suspicion mm-hmm. or view the community. Uh, with in in some sort of a, a negative way, so using that has been a very good way of breaking down <coughs> barriers mm-hmm. and saying this is what it means to be Sikh. Uh, obviously, that one saying doesn't capture the whole of Sikhi, mm-hmm. but it captures uh, an element of Sikhi which is then accessible for others and which people can then say, well, actually, do you know what? I think I'm I can buy into that. Yeah. I'm not Sikh, but I I still think that that's a um, that's a good way of looking at the world. Yeah, that, that's actually a really uh, great point you make about accessibility, because obviously this idea of humanity being common to all is, is something that, um, you know, I could as a Muslim find in my faith, too. So a, a saying from Imam Ali comes to mind, you know, one um, a, a man or a person is either my brother in the faith or a brother in humanity. So it's these sort of, like you said, something that's accessible to all and that can bring us all together. So um, Simranjit, um just we have talked about othering and obviously I know you know the background of in terms of the work that you do uh, the justice work that you know you, um, you know all of um, you know trying to break down these barriers not just of othering but specifically of securitization of identity as well you know because it, it's become mm-hmm. institutionalized so if you could talk a little bit about that and how your Sikh faith helps you in in um, you know achieving these goals that you set out yeah well I mean I would say I agree 100% with what Jasphere says. It's it's a very simple lesson, uh, 
Um, it's one that I teach my four-year-old daughter. My wife and I talk to our four-year-old daughter every day about that basic teaching. So it's so simple that a toddler can understand it, but it's also, <laughs> if, if adults could understand it, our world would be so much of a better place. So I think, I think that's, that's the core of it. I, any sick you speak to that I've spoken to, um, when you ask them, what is it? What, what is the core teaching um, about interaction with people? That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the tricky things that happens, though, once we start building on that is how do you how does your worldview um, teach you to engage with difference? Mm-hmm. Because yes, we can all say that you know we're all one humanity, but the moment the moment difference comes along, we feel threatened for some reason. And so, like, how do we deal with that? And I think one of the one of the beautiful teachings that I've really come to appreciate within the Sikh tradition um, is is this sort of embedded and entrenched idea of of pluralism in a way that says you may be different than me and I may be different than you we may have our own ways and we don't have to disagree this is all a manifestation of divinity Mm -hmm. and so it's not just about you know I'm brown and you're white um or it's you know you have blonde hair and I have black hair Mm -hmm. um it's it goes it goes much deeper than the superficial It, it goes to a level of you believe something that is entirely different than what I believe. Mm-hmm. And I completely respect your outlook because I see that as divine. Like that is equally divine to what I'm doing. And that I think is a completely radical way of looking. Mm-hmm. And then you can say exactly what Jaspir was saying. Like then you can say, I see our interconnection. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the teaching of, of Guru Arjun Sahib, the fifth guru was, uh, I see no strangers and no enemies. Mm. And he was tortured to death. So of course, people saw him as an enemy. And what was his radical vision that allowed him to see things so differently? It was this idea of, of oneness. And even people who wanted to harm him, he still was able to see past that difference and recognize that difference as, as divine. So I think that that's been a really powerful instrument for me as I engage in a world that's so messy and so hateful um and and you sort of have to figure out how to keep going with it and and to me that's been it's been super helpful so that's really um, admirable you know what you mentioned about um the guru sahib and um you know kind of reflecting on that you know often when i you know as an interfaith practitioner often think about you know we have all of these differences but how do we you know um come to become how do we um ensure some form of unity not by negating these differences, but by, you know, through these different, the very differences themselves. So I, I like the fact that you're looking at it this way, you know, trying to find this divinity through the various differences. And I think that's, that's um, thank you for that. That's, um, that's a lot of food for thought, especially, you know, for us and our listeners who are um, part of the interfaith um, family. Yeah, of course. I mean, I wish I could take credit for it, but I, it's not my original thought. It's just what I've learned from my tradition. And I, I'm exactly on the same page as you. Like, I, I find it incredibly frustrating when people say, I can, I want to erase your difference so I can see your humanity. And I want to say, no, my 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 difference is what makes me human. Like, that's exactly. who I am. It's so important to who I am. And if you don't see that, then you don't actually see me. Yeah. And so we need a different model. And I think I think what we have from our gurus is really powerful there. It definitely is. Wouldn't you agree, Jasper? Oh, completely, completely. And it reminds me of some of the um, 
well, some of the actions of the uh, the gurus during their lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of uh, building building a mosque in order to ensure that the the Muslims of a local community yeah. could then continue to practice their faith as they needed to, mm. um, but still being very proud of their Sikh identity or being willing to effectively give their lives to um, uh, save the uh, the religious identities of uh, of others. And it is very much a case of, well, look, I may not agree with you, but I will, to my dying breath, defend your right to believe that. No, that's exactly what it is. And, you know, that's what we see happening today across the world. And especially, you know, given the, um, the violence that we've seen targeting Muslims in India um, at the moment. And, you know, the, one of the main groups of people who supported and defended Muslims who were being attacked were the Sikh community and, you know, opening up um, their homes to protect their you know, their neighbours who are Muslim. And I, I thought that was, you know, this is what happens when you when you follow the traditions and sayings. You know, I say this as an outsider from the Sikh faith. You know, I'm, I'm not Sikh, but I can really understand now that these are some of, you know, the works that I have read, you know, whether it's um, the poetry of Kabir, you know, that, that, that in itself, you know, some of the teachings of the Sikh faith can be very much seen in that. And to have people have that, you know, to, to, to um, to actually abide by these things in their daily lives is, is very, very commendable. Um, so yes, um, I think that pretty much wraps up um, our conversation today. But if there's anything that you guys would like to add or reflect upon before I wrap up. No, I think this is great. Thank you. Thank you, Mariam. It was a wonderful conversation. And we got into some of, I think, what are the, what to me at least are, are some of the more compelling things about Sikh teachings that, that keep me drawn in. Mm. What do you think, Jasphere? Yeah, they completely agreed. I think it's been, yeah, it's been a fascinating conversation. And I think there's, um, I mean, <laughs> to be honest, it's a conversation that could have gone for much, much yeah. longer than this. But it's, it's a good it's a good effort, isn't it? It's a good start. I think definitely it's a great start. And it's been um, absolutely wonderful to have uh, the time and you know an honor to speak to both of you you know I admire both of your work so much and I kind of you know as an as again as an interfaith practitioner I look up to you both very much and with that I would like to wish you both a very happy Vasaki in advance because obviously we are reporting. thank you thank you thank you both thank you. and a happy Vasaki to you too <laughs> to all us all of us all of us Punjabis and non-Punjabis too so thank you both Excellent. Thanks, Mariam. Great job. Um, Really interesting interview that. And the thing that struck me very forcibly, I think, was the differences between the US and the UK experiences. Um, The the story that Jasphere tells, yes, uh, is of a community that faces its challenges, but is making good headway and is kind of gaining an influence. Whereas uh, Simran's story was a bit darker in some ways, wasn't it? Yes, um, I think a lot of this is to do with, as they've both mentioned, you know, in passing through the uh, the, the conversation that we've had, um, much of it's to do with, you know, when the diaspora settled in the UK and, and respectively in the US, um, it's the way in which the communities formulated and, um, you know, developed. So in the UK, obviously, we're not as dispersed or spread out um as they are in the US 
and this is something that Simranjit touched upon and something that you know we often overlook when we talk about community engagement um interfaith work or even you know the sense of belonging and bonding within a community um so i think um in a way we're quite lucky in the uk because you know we are a small little island and uh, on that note uh, we'll leave you to think about that and we'd like to wish all our listeners especially the sikh and hindu communities the very happiest of as they say in punjabi i think that the correct way is to say it is a uh, so um vasaki di dher sari badhaya which is to say you know uh, congratulations on on vasaki uh, so yes vasaki mubarak happy vasaki Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.